I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. We got a great show planned for you. As always, DMs always open. Drop them in the uh, Loveline IG page. In the DMs in there, anything you're wondering about topically, we got you questions, let us know. And uh, as always, past shows are over at wearechannelq.com. Ah, the cooler weather is coming. Now, of course, it depends on where you are living and listening from. Maybe the heat is uh, bearing down on you. Maybe it's even snowing. Uh, but I'm over here on the uh, West Coast over in California, and the weather is amazing. I uh, have been collecting leaves. I don't know if I was talking about that on the show. Definitely putting that on my social media. Oh, no, I was talking about this on the show. I think this was last week. Um, how, how um, I guess how nostalgic seeing leaves fall and the different colors are and uh, still been collecting those when I go on walks. I think it's just a beautiful example of creating the world you want to be a part of, trying to bring the outdoors indoors and just really kind of surrounding your your life and your space with meaningful things. I think a lot of us just really want to make our homes look quote unquote done, complete, lived in, but it's important to have some things around you that when you look at them, they remind you of who you want to be, how you want to think, how you want to move through the world. I've gotten more so in the habit of keeping meaningful things out, even when they don't necessarily aesthetically make the most sense. What does that mean? Well, back in the day, my family had a beach house that we spent a lot of vacations at, in, down there. And when we got, you know, when we sold it, when my father passed right before that happened, they sent me a little, little glass bottle full of some of the sand. That's been beautifully meaningful. I also collect snow globes. I have a beautiful one of New York city to remind me of my New York city days, have the leaves, all different kinds of things. I place them around me. I like, I like, you know, the world tries to pull us in different directions and depending on the shows we're watching, the music we're listening to, the podcasts, the books we're reading, the friends we have, the conversations that are had around us, we start to construct a world. And I know the kind of world I want to live in and I have to actively create that as someone who doesn't drink, as someone who is vegan and plant-based, as someone who really tries to live their lives powerfully with social justice, ethics, and activism. That's not what our world is centered in. And so when you have powerful belief systems, when you have strong ethics, when you might be an activist, we have to bring those things into our lives. More importantly, like I said, we have to surround ourselves with things that remind us of who we want to be. I'm constantly reading books to keep the right mindset. I don't want to absorb the norms and values of our wider culture. I don't want to think that my worth is tied to what I own, the watch I have, the car I drive. I don't want to think my worth is tied to how productive I am. I want to, I want to live in a world where my worth is tied to how I treat other people, the impact I have on those around me, what my legacy is going to be, right? Trying to move through the world within a, in a sense of nonviolence, healing, liberation. So whatever your ethics or values might be, look around your home. Does what you have around you remind you of that, reflect that back to you or quite the opposite. Sometimes it confuses us. It dilutes our messaging. It pulls us away from our mission statement. So think about that. People sometimes feel lost. They don't feel grounded. They don't know who they are. Maybe they're going through a new phase of their life where they have to explore and find a new identity. This can be part of it. Surrounding ourselves. I think we also talked a little bit about this a while back. I was reading an article about how important it is for people that are of any oppressed or marginalized identity to create a home where their children can grow up seeing the worth, value, and celebration of their culture. If you're someone who's black or of color, you might want to surround your home or place in it things that are artifacts, cultural artifacts, religious artifacts of 
excellence, black excellence, queer excellence, queer joy. Um, but again, we need to do this in general. You don't know the child that you're raising. You don't know who they're going to grow up to be. And I think the most healing, loving, supportive homes are ones that really honor creativity and diversity, different ways of being. So just do that. Look around your home. What does my home communicate to me and to those around us? What does my home communicate to those that also live here? And what changes might need to be made? Um, I appreciate that everyone wants their home to maybe have a certain aesthetic, but I think that this has more meaning, you know, the psychological and emotional health of our dwelling. We talk a lot about that with self-care and happiness. Um, how much of your life is rooted in pleasure and ease or is your home and life set up in a way that just really honors stress? Uh, it's part of why I love working from home. I'm able to wear comfortable clothes that feel good to me and I don't have to worry about things like professionalism because I'm not in my office. And um, just other factors like that. Uh, again, we talk a lot about things like pleasure activism. How pleasurable are the things around you? How comfortable is the chair you sit in? How comfortable are the clothes you wear? Um, how comfortable and soothing are the colors that you've painted your wall and the things that are hanging in your home? All of that matters. All that's part of a mental health. We don't talk enough about that. What is the messaging in the movies and songs that you listen to? Are they inspiring or are they further depressing and triggering? Mental health. <laughs> is a daily practice of really assessing the impact so many different things have on us and how they make us feel and the kind of world that they create for us. So always trying to give you all a reminder to think about that. Uh, coming up next, we're gonna talk about something we talk about often, happiness, and uh, yet another article that we're gonna dissect that looks at intentional actions you can take every day. Um, you know, something that we need to keep talking about in these difficult times. We are all still trying to do the best we can with the holidays coming tends to get a little bit harder for some of us. So as I said, DMs will be uh, coming up on them later in the show. So if you got one for us, drop it in there. Past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Check those out. Otherwise, y'all stick around. We got more to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey. We'll be back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Alrighty, we are back and uh, we are talking about uh, happiness, how to bring it into our lives. I think for some, it's just an interesting proposition, trying to carve out space of joy and happiness uh, when you're working on just getting through the day. And that's why I love these segments on tweaks, simple things we can do to shift our day, our experience of the day. They're meaningful. I'm a big fan of uh, just making progress, small, simple steps. Trying to make these big, grand sweeping shifts and changes can both be overwhelming, far too daunting, and also can set us up for failure. So it's often just about putting one step in front of the other. Um, that's something I used to say to the clients I worked with in um, inpatient drug and alcohol treatment back in the day when that was something I was uh, a part of clinically. And I would remind them, look, I appreciate that we all come into drug addiction or you know a problematic relationship with drugs and alcohol coming out of different environments. And a lot of individuals will be going right back to those environments after they get treatment or they get sober. And the questions are like, wow, how do you really thrive in a toxic environment? And um, you know, that's a, that's a tall order for a lot of people. 
so much up against us at times. And sometimes it's just about, I guess it goes back to that concept of harm reduction. Uh, everything won't necessarily always be perfect or ideal, but what are the things we can do to try to reduce the harm, try to amplify a little bit more of uh, sustainability and happiness and mental health and resilience. So, you know, when I talk about these topics, it's never, it's never done without acknowledging that there's so much more to what makes our lives difficult and that there is no such thing as three quick, easy, simple steps. And we've heard that kind of uh, toxic messaging and toxic positivity. Um, you know, it frustrates us, right? When we see people say things like, it's all thought, it's all just perspective. If you know the world, the world that you live in is the world that you perceive. It's just perception. It's like, well, no, that's actually not true. There are often times things that are complicated and violent and harsh and damage is done to us. And it's not just about perspective. Um, what kind of perspective are we supposed to have on, you know, gay bashing? We're supposed to just change our perspective and then it heals the damage that that creates in its existence? Well, no way. No way. And so we do have to be aware of the world that's around us and the environment we're a part of and make the changes we can within that. But sometimes it's micro moments that we steal or that we take. I, I've talked on the show about there was a day where we talked a lot about how within the course of our workday, can we build in self-care? And it's not always ideal, but the work was about finding the practice or starting the practice of trying to create little moments. And those, mo those moments are meaningful. Um, so anyway, all that, all that front-loading, <laughs> such a big disclaimer, just to talk about what are some of the things that we can try to bring happiness in. Now, uh, I was looking through some articles on minimalism. I was looking through some articles on happiness. I was looking through some articles on mental health and self-care. I was looking through articles on harm reduction. And it's interesting to see what commonalities come up. A lot of them go back to the good old, you know, what do they call it? Um, old standard uh, of things like counting blessings and gratitude lists. Now, I think that these are one of those things that can be very weaponized and misused, where if someone's in a very difficult time of their lives, I think it can be a little victim blamey or insensitive to say, look on the bright side or make a gratitude list. Well, a lot of times when people are having a really difficult time, they need individuals to hold space and sit with them in what they're going through. And a lot of people find it hard to sit with someone's emotions, especially if it's very powerful, strong affect, as we call it. And what they try to do is they try to make them feel better. A lot of us think that the goal is to feel better, that the goal of being a good friend or, or giving advice or mental health is smiling and feeling better, but that's not true. And I try to mention that on the show a lot, that mental health is about feeling all of our feelings and to feel the full range of feelings and to be able to sit and feel them deeply. Mental health isn't happiness. Mental health is feeling all of our feelings. Mental health does include being depressed at times or anxious. That is part of the human experience. There's no medication in the world that will completely remove that, nor do I ever want that to be the case. That's not real, that's not honest. And all emotions are communication. All, all emotions let us know a need that we have. Anger, fear, frustration, disappointment. These aren't things to have shame around or to get rid of. We wanna sit in them. And a lot of times when someone's trying to make us feel better, they'll hand us a tissue so we stop crying. They'll try to make us look on the bright side or step right into solution. But a lot of times what we need to do is just sit where we are. Now, having said that and believing all of that, there is something to not always living in just the struggles and not always having our identity tied to our trauma, our struggles, and our difficulties. And I do think there's something important about being able to hold both when we're ready to and being able to acknowledge that, yes, all of those things are happening. But at the exact same time, there are some positive things that we can have gratitude for that are also occurring. And that is just as real. And it's really important for mental health to have the flexibility and fluidity to go back and forth into both especially living in the world we live in where you don't always give get get given the opportunity to take downtime when you need it sometimes we have to learn how to shelve things and compartmentalize them that's just the world we live in and we do need a level of adaptation and that's what that allows us so i do think there is something to creating gratitude lists and counting your blessings but i don't want to use it i don't want to weaponize it i don't want to so we just have to be cognizant of how we're using this, when we're using this, the goal in using this, the intention. It shouldn't be to deny, it shouldn't be to minimize, it shouldn't be to illegitimize, it shouldn't be to make someone feel alone or ourselves alone. It should be because we're in a place where we realize I am able and have attended to 
whatever I've de determined to be these difficult feelings. But I'm also now in a place where I can hold that knowing that resolution isn't available or even always necessary. And I want to now maybe, you know, flexibly, flexibly shift over into some other experiences that are still being had at that same time. So that's why I like gratitude lists. They, they help us with adaptation. They help us with flexibility. And that's really part of mental health as well is flexibility, adaptation, and being energized. And so this is something that could be helpful with that. All right, man, time really flies. All right, we're gonna take a little break. When we come back, we're gonna keep talking about this and then we'll be sliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, as always, drop them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Stick around, we'll be right back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back and we're talking about, well, we're talking about a constellation of things. I mean, it's really about how do we have more mental health, but then it drops down into how do we have more flexibility? How can we be more adaptive? That's the key. How do we hold multiple experiences at once? That is some higher level mental health, mental functioning, to be able to hold two oppositional experiences at one time. And we also have to do that as partners, as a, well, actually in any relationship, as a friend, as a colleague, as a, as a lover, as a, as a whatever it is, as a parent, that we can love someone so deeply, so fully, we think nothing but beautiful, great things about them. Seconds later, something happens that frustrates us, disappoints us, lets us down. And now they are, they went from all good to now they are all bad. Well, wait a minute. Aren't they both? Yeah, they're both. They're both. It's not they were that, now they're this, and now we hope to get back to that. No, they're both at the same time. And it is a higher level of functioning to be able to acknowledge that, that the person I might be so vehemently upset with and frustrated with is also the person that I love the most and I think the most of. And that's very complicated and it's very hard for us to do that. And that's something that hopefully we're taught at a young age when we both acknowledge the harm that someone or something might have caused while also able to set boundaries and acknowledge this is also someone who's important to me that I care about. And that's that whole concept of working through. We can't get in the habit of kicking everyone out of our lives the minute they upset us or disappoint us. We end up alone. Everyone will let you down over and over again. We have to hold both. If they're also a good person who has worth and value to you, you hang in there and work through that with them. Of course, they have to be accountable and apologize so that we know that they're safe. But our end of the bargain is that we hold space for that if there's someone who's important to us. That's our end of the bargain. Their end is to be accountable to what might have been, you know, what might have happened and to be open to us reflecting that back. But our commitment is that we will be there for that. We will hold that space, which means we can't be resentful, which means we can't hold grudges. Because if you live in that space and you think that that's appropriate, you are going to have a very difficult time with relationships because people will continually frustrate you. Now, to take that more into the world right now, listen, let me say this. If, if I were to offer um, premarital counseling, which very few people seek, or even, you know, um, gosh, pre-friendship counseling, imagine if we really took all relationships seriously enough and the impact we have on each other enough, we wanted to work on being better friends, better parents, better marital partners, or whatever it is. Very few people do those things. That'd be one of the things I would point out. Number one, when you form a relationship with someone, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility for cleaning it up, clearing things up, doing repair. Even if you decide this is not a relationship I want to be a part of, we have to stop getting comfortable with people just cutting out. Yes, if you're in a relationship that is physically or emotionally abusive, you can set a boundary of silence, block them, and, and peace out. But outside of that, when we're talking about disappointments, frustrations, and conflict, you need to hang in there and clean it up. Even if you're going to part ways, you don't leave those strings. What do they say? Um, loose ends. You don't leave those loose ends. Is that the word? What's the opposite of a loose end? What do you do with a loose end if when you finish it out? I don't know. I'm curious about that. Feel free to drop that in the DMs. You tie it off. Like what's the, what's the point of completion with a loose end? <laughs> tying it off, fusing it together. Like, I don't even know how to work with that metaphor. But you get my point, right? Um, we have to take accountability for what we open up and what we begin. We can't create a mess and then just back away slowly. And part of that is being able to hold space for, I am so upset with you right now, but you're also my best friend and I love you at the same time. And I'm holding both. But in romantic partnerships, which are the most difficult relationships to be a part of because our attachment system comes online and they do become someone that we fuse and wire to. And we do become dependent upon them emotionally, psychologically, and physiologically. Yeah, there's a lot of responsibility in that. It is a very harsh thing to our system. 
and we take these wounds forward when people just peace out. But I think we should be more careful about that in all relationships. But we always seem to hold ourselves, if at all, accountable to that in certain ones, as though friendships don't matter as much. And so in some ways, I think we do better with friendships because we allow them more leeway. We hold so tight and often suck the life out of our romantic partners and we police their behavior and we are so threatened of them having secondary and tertiary relationships other than the ones with us. But with friendships, we don't tend to do that. We acknowledge that we can have multiple best friends, multiple close friends. If someone disappears for a few days, we are not upset with them. We allow that. That would be awesome if we could also extend that to our romantic partners. Now, having said that, the inverse is true in that with our romantic partners, we usually take a more, I hope, responsibility and accountability for what we co-create and how we impact them. Where friendship, we tend to hold that lighter. We just kind of like go silent, distance. I don't know. Point being, be better. <laughs> I like how we always land on that somehow, no matter what we're talking about. All this is born out of just talking about the topic of counting your blessings. But I love that. So that's a that's a higher level of, of relational functioning. So ask yourself, am I able to do that? Or if someone upsets me and lets me down, do I decide they're all bad, they're nothing but bad, they'll never be better and cut them out? Because if so, you're the problem. That's not to take away the um, energy or responsibility or accountability on whatever this other might have done, but you're also not doing your part. And um, we need to be better about that, especially if we got little ones running around that we're raising. And um, you know, let's, let's hold our friends even better to that our friends more accountable, you know, when they come to us for advice. Okay, y'all, all that to say, uh, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. So stick around for that. If you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, then we'll get back to talking about all the different ways to try to make our lives better. <laughs> no small feat, but it's a small practice. All right, y'all stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, let's see what we got here today. This first one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my grandma is dying. Oh, she's 89, even though she hasn't taken a complete turn for the worst. Constantly already trying to process and grieve her being gone instead of enjoying these moments with her. Is this normal? Well, there is no normal, and normal doesn't matter. You know, um, whenever someone asks me, is something normal? I tell them, be where you are. When we talk about emotional health, but more importantly, grief and loss, it's important to be on the process and then the journey you're on and to let it go to completion. Whatever emotions come up, be with them. You know, the worst thing we can do for ourselves mental health wise is try to adjust ourselves to process some difficulty the way we think we should or the way other people do or the way we've been told we have to. Be where you are, that's mental health. And your journey is important and you want to complete the process of grieving and mourning. And it's hard to focus on, you know, compartmentalizing that until maybe they actually pass and instead try to focus on the joy and the celebration. You're aware of what might be impending, uh, but more importantly, be where you are because your mental health matters. And that will always be my first entry point or my first point of, you know, attention. So whatever you're feeling, feel it. And make sure you're staying close and connected to others and that you're sharing that openly and vulnerably. Spend time with people. But also if you need to spend time alone, spend time alone. There's no right way to grieve. And the grieving process gonna be, is going to be different for everyone. Even when we look at uh, the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, those aren't actually the stages of grief. That is born out of the work of people who were dying. It's the stages of grief people go through when they themselves are dying. It's not about the process we go through when others are dying. However, it can at times look similar. But there are no correct steps. There are no necessary steps. We need to honor our emotional journey and process and just be with it. Shaming that, dismissing that, denying that, minimizing that is not mental health and that will not help you. So be where you are. But yes, I always try to remind people that we can, in difficult times, if it is honest, connect to moments of joy and celebration as well. Sometimes for some people, it's about really honoring both. But whatever it is, however you are feeling, whatever you're feeling compelled to do, honor that and do that. I think that's the most important thing. And all experiences we have give us an opportunity to really focus on being you know, more connected to ourselves emotionally, being on our authentic, honest journey, not shaming it, not minimizing it. And healthy people around you will honor that. Grief and loss is gnarly. I've been through it. I've, I work with many people going through it. It doesn't even always end. It changes us. We become different. Things get easier, 
but we don't forget. We don't get over it. We will be reminded. We will have experiences with them, but that's also the beauty. My father passed. I still, I still spend time with him. He's still here, just not in the physical form, but he's still very emotionally and psychologically accessible, available, and present. I talk to him. I think about him. I spend time with him. We don't have to completely lose them, and I don't believe that people are gone. I think they're just gone in their physical form. But again, we can access them emotionally and psychologically through conversation with them, through memory, through looking at photos, through talking about them with others. Sometimes that's the most beautiful part of that journey is letting them still exist by discussing and sharing stories and mentioning them at holidays and honoring them on their birthday and their anniversary, going to maybe see their gravesite if that's meaningful to you. I keep tokens and reminders of people that are no longer with me that I still want to remember and have a relationship with around me. It's very healthy. The key point for you to remember though, is there is no right way to do this. Uh, so when someone says, is it normal that I dot, 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 I always stop them and say, that's not the goal. That's not important. And I try to discourage that being the focal point of the center point is grieving correctly or grieving the right way. That dishonors our natural process and we have to trust the body more. That's that's actually another form of body positivity is trusting the body. Your body knows what it needs to heal. Allow that process, but your psyche does as well. So just follow what naturally it is that's coming up, what you're naturally feeling. But as always, try to do that within the context of shared space with others. You know, that's how we best work through emotions. And that's also what can be very healing in a grieving process is that safety of people holding that safe container for us, really witnessing our grief. Um, we can work with it through art, through music, so many different ways, but it's about being with it, allowing it, dropping deeper into it, not trying to disconnect from it or water it down. You know, beautiful question. And I'm sending out lots of lots of loving, loving light and care for you. You know, peace and release until all that remains is the joy that you had with them. That's what I hope for you. All right, y'all. Going to take a little break. We'll be back. Stick around. You're listening to Love and Light on Loveline. You know, we're always trying to bring that in. Um, okay. Anyway, you're listening to Loveline, Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back. And uh, funny enough, before the break, we were talking about all sorts of stuff. I, I love how one topic balloons and expands out into so many other topics. That is the awesomeness that is the mental health world. And uh, it's probably part of the joy I have working within it. Uh, so, you know, again, what we were really talking about was how life is tough and we have to build in moments of reprieve away from whatever's happening around us. And we were just unpacking this idea of gratitude and counting your blessings and how, you know, that can be really meaningful and reasonable in some, some places at some times in our lives. And other times it's really the worst thing in the world. And we should just sit in our, sit in our crap, <laughs> sit in the darkness, you know, sit in the wound. One thing, if nothing else from tonight's show, I often say this in a therapy session, if you take nothing else away from today's session, here's the gem. Well, I'm saying that about tonight's show is the only way through something you know, to really get over something or to get through something is to go into it. The way through is, the, is by going through. The way out of it is by going in. You, you got to drop into the darkness because we do have a habit in our culture of trying to perform, trying to perform wellness and trying to present as competent and functional. And we definitely shame emotion more so than I think we all actually realize. And working with individuals Day to day, I'm shown examples of how much we shame and pathologize emotions and how emotions are actually the most important things we have. They're, they're what keep us and make us feel alive. They're how we bond with others. They're, they're what bring joy into our lives. They're also communications. It's also the most powerful form of embodiment. It's connection to yourself and to others. It's emotions. That's all we are. And they're not irrational. And the ration rationality is no more rational than emotions. Rationality is also interrupted and impacted by experiences we've had in trauma and emotions. They're not as separable as we think. And we really need both. We do, emotions without rationality are dangerous and, ration and, and rationality without emotions are incomplete and also dangerous. We need both. Um, so just, just sit with that, if nothing else, that you need to go into it. You have to complete it just because sometimes the stressors removed, you know, school ended or 
you know, we got in the car accident and I stepped out of the car and I realized I'm intact and I'm okay. That doesn't mean the stress has left your body. That doesn't mean the emotional experience has. Now, what's great about emotions is they will always subside. It's like a wave. It will crash. You just have to ride it out. If you're on a wild wave, you know at some point that will drop to the beach and it will crash. Emotions are the same way. We have to allow them to complete their process. But we block the process by saying, all right, time to stop crying or someone hands you tissues or it's time to get back to work or, you know, now I'm embarrassed. I've, you know, cried for too long whatever it is, follow the process, allow the process to go full to completion. Don't press the gas pedal. Don't pump the brake. Just let it naturally do what it needs to do. We rarely ride emotions out. And what we need to do with those around us is support that process. So if someone around you is having a difficult time, you don't need to shut it down or shut it off. Support them in riding it out, not pressing the gas and amplifying it, but also not pumping the brake and shaming it and watering it down or denying it. Just be in it. Just hold that space. It's best to often say very little. That brings us right back up into our head, into rationality. Let us stay in our body. Complete the process. We're talking about happiness, and that's that's a part of it. We're talking about relational skills. That's a part of it. We're talking about mental health. Bam, that's a part of it. We're talking about being a good parent. Bam, there it is, being a good friend. It all ties into the same stuff. So we are talking about how to choose happiness every day. We've only gotten through point one, and that's why I love this show is because we can drop so deeply into things. So... What are other ways we can choose happiness? <laughs> For those that are just joining us, you're like, how did how are all these topics even connected? Well, they are. Um, I thought this one was really interesting. Speak daily affirmation into your life. Affirmations are thoughts and ideas that you recite. Um, that to be based in truth. And I and I love affirmation. I don't tend to use that word. I tend to use the word mantra, and that's from my Eastern, you know, spiritual beliefs and practices. And talk a lot about mantras and working with them and how they center us. They keep us connected to wisdom and truth. And at times, it's our higher, better self speaking. And I know that when I'm operating and living from a lower, my lower self, or I'm living in my trauma, or I'm living in my shame. It's important that I have access to commentary, which would be affirmation or mantras from my better self that I trust that I can try to hitch my my wagon to. I don't know if we still use that phrase. I don't know where that even came from. But I can hold on to that. I can bring myself back to that. I can anchor it. Because otherwise my mind is wild at that point. You know, you're very much lost in emotion, you're overwhelmed. Mantras bring us back. So I leave little notes around my house. So I keep a journal of quotes. These are the things I go to when I don't know how to be, how to think, how I feel. And so I think part of like living a better life, living a life that's mental health centered, rooted in self-care, happiness, whatever, being spiritual, however you wanna look at it, it all comes back to sometimes we need these anchors because our better thinking isn't, isn't accessible or we lose ourselves. And so it's really important for us to have those. And a great way to do that is if you have a smartphone, you have a little notepad. So I'm constantly taking snapshots of memes, putting quotes in my phone, writing them down in my journal, and coming back to them, sticking them on stickets around my house so I'm forced to encounter them throughout the day. Really, really smart stuff. Um, we're gonna have to take a break again in a minute. Uh, DMs later in the show. If you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, past episodes, as always, over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, click on it. Bam, there they all are. You can binge, post, share, re-listen, send them to a friend. Uh, but stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we are back. And... Talking about ways to kind of use our day to make it somewhat of a spiritual or psychological practice. Um, I know it's always there's always work to do, but this is important because our mental health impacts everything. It really does, though. Think about it. Everything's run through the lens of our mental health. Everything's run through the lens of the day we've had our mood, even our memory. Your memory, uh, can't trust your memory that much, y'all. Memory's a reconsolidation. It's uh, not kept in a very pristine place all put together like we think it is. Memory is dispersed. And when we recollect something, all these different pieces are pulled together. Well, everything that's happened since then, and more importantly, also our mood upon recollection will color, impact, and change our memories. But we don't believe that because we see it in our head. I remember it this way. So it's got to be true. We over, we have, we have too much confidence in our memory. All that to say, because it's not really a segment on memory, it's just to say that our mental health is that powerful, that it can change an entire memory, an experience we had that we witnessed, that we were part of, something that was done to us. It's colored and changed 
based on our mental health. That's how, that's how important this is. So we do want to be thoughtful about that. We're just really kind of looking at ways to like shift how we're moving through our day. And uh, we're just talking about mantras. I think they're really important, um, especially when they're tied to deeper truths, higher levels of wisdom, and they're things that can anchor us. Because like we said, when we get triggered, when we're in our trauma, when we are operating from our lower self, when we're feeling dysregulated, it really depends on the languaging you have. Um, Those are things that we can trust and we can hang on to. They're like little life rafts. I thought this one was kind of interesting. This concept of wake up on your terms. So it says most of us have alarm clocks programmed because of the expectations of others, <laughs> a workplace, a class. Uh, it's probably not going to change, but that doesn't mean we have to lose control over our entire morning in the process. Start a routine. It's something that's gotten easier and better for me. I never traditionally had an exact routine and I kind of hit the ground running. And I mean that more than you think. I am a morning person. I basically do like a backflip out of bed, grab coffee as I'm running out the door and I'm like a manic mess. I just have a lot of energy and joy in the morning. I'm a morning person. I'm the opposite at nighttime. I'm at my worst in the nighttime. I'm tired. I'm wound down. I'm, you know, burn out. I want to be at home, comfortable on the couch. Um, I'm not a nighttime person. That's why I laugh when someone's like, oh, do you want to come to my event? Oh God. I'm like, what times it start? They're like nine. I'm like, I'm in bed at nine. No. <laughs> but if you want to get up early and go on a hike or go for coffee or go see art or go see a movie or go shopping or go hiking or go to the beach, I'm down. But uh, no, I don't want to meet you at nighttime around my bedtime to do anything. Um, all that to say is you have to learn what your natural rhythms are. I stopped trying to push myself to be able to be productive when I'm not naturally able to be. That's just not healthy for me. That's just not the person I am. And I had to create a world that accommodated who I was. I, I, I decided I'm no longer accommodating the world. The world has to accommodate me if they want my participation. And our mornings are that way as well. We don't always, like that little quote said, have the power to decide when we wake up. We're at the mercy of all these other systems like you know, job and school and other things. But we might be able to decide the quality or the process. What, you know, we can get up earlier, we can decide what we do as we get up. And I started to take that more seriously. I started to realize that how I started my day, as smart as it sounds or as dumb as it sounds, or maybe y'all are like, wow, you didn't know this, but how you start your day really kind of determines how the day goes. You know, not knowing what's coming, you want to at least set this strong foundation to be able to deal with and tolerate whatever could happen. I want to at least start my day at my most robust and my most resilient. So I had to decide what that meant. Number one, I don't check my email right away. In fact, I delay checking my email for the first like two hours of my morning. I'm not interested in having someone direct my mood that early because you never know what you're reading in your emails. And there's a lot of harsh stuff out there. So I don't check my emails or my social media for the first two hours. I just am interested in deciding how my day starts and being with myself. Um, that's important giving yourself enough time to have somewhat of a routine or a process. Um, I, I shared with you all a couple weeks ago this article about what neurologists do every day to start their day. Dear God in heaven, their days work-wise must not start till 4 p.m. Because if you heard all the things they did in a row, I was like, who has the time for that? So we're not going to be that dramatic. I mean, they were like getting up early and drinking four glasses of water and then they met it, meditated and then they read something and then they exercised and it really like went on and on and on. I was like, oh my God, that's my whole day already. Like, who is that time? And that's why I keep pointing out it's these small pieces that matter. They matter just as much. When you have a routine that's that extensive and you do it every day, the impact actually doesn't exist anymore often. It just becomes wrote. It just becomes going through the motions. It's your implicit system just kind of pushing you through. I don't know that it has the same impact anymore. That's why I'm a big fan of these little tweaks. I try to set a specific process, like I'm not going to check my email. But what happens within that space, I allow to have a little more flexibility, um, see what the day requires. But you know, we want to get a little bit more control and get a little bit of a hold on it. I think that that's great. Um, I loved this one. Start holding back complaints. Oh, what a good move towards happiness and mental health. The next time you want to complain, keep it to yourself. Bam. But more than that, you'll experience joy by choosing peace in that situation. I love that. Complain less. I'm actually going to take it further. Complain less and compliment more. Get the habit of vocalizing more compliments. We tend to keep compliments to ourselves. We got no problem reaching out and we got a complaint. Whether that's, you know, at the coffee shop you hang out at or with a friend, 
get in the habit of doing more compliments. If you're going to complain at three compliments for every complaint, and if you can't do that, well, then you shouldn't be complaining because the world's a lot better than we think at times, but we might be hyper-focused on what agitates us. We might be strengthening that muscle, really sensitive to agitation, but very doled out to things that are good. Start trying to focus on giving more compliments. The world needs that. Others need that. Changes your state and your mood as well. We do that for them. We do that for us. I think that's some great stuff. All right, y'all, we're going to take a little break, uh, and then we're going to finish talking about this, and then... um going to slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop them in the DMs on our Love Line IG page. Any question you got, topic you want us to cover, something you want us to circle back and drop deeper into, happy to hear from you. But uh, otherwise, stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, yo. Yo, y'all. Lots of whys there. Uh, we're talking about ways to build in more mental health and happiness in our lives. Uh, but again, this has been like expansive. We're kind of all over the place with this one. But we were just talking before the break about holding back complaints. Just sit with that for a second. Think about the world we would live in if instead of always vocalizing complaints, we got a little bit more sensitive and better at vocalizing and sharing compliments. What if for every complaint we had to have three compliments? What if we started to try to acknowledge more of what is working? Try to create a world where everyone's feeling a little safer. Try to create a world where we're bringing joy to others by complimenting and pointing things out. It makes people's day. When's the last time you were complimented? I know when I get a compliment, it shifts my whole disposition. And I'm always thankful that someone's vulnerable enough to do that because y'all real great at complaints, but we struggle to drop those compliments. I'm trying to get better about that. I also thought this was interesting in the research I was doing. Practice one life-improving discipline. <laughs> Just one thing, budgeting, exercise, education, just one life-improving discipline. Practice it. Some of us, we haven't learned anything new in a very long time. We haven't picked up a new skill. We haven't challenged our thinking. We haven't disrupted our lives in that way. I love learning. I'm always researching new topics. That is a way to make your life more meaningful and to bring in some joy. It's also important for us to learn how to stick uh, not stick in, but really tolerate and, and I guess stick with things that are hard and difficult. But also it teaches us competence. The more we can be successful at, the more we realize that we can do. And the more we realize that it's okay when we don't always nail everything. You know, learning how to deal with failure. Uh, it's another harsh lesson for us, but that's an important one. Use your strengths. I think that's a great one. Looking at what are your talents and your abilities, leaning more into that. I think this is great. Accomplish one important task. Bam. Just one thing. <laughs> Don't doesn't always doesn't always have to be such a long list. Um, treat others well. We kind of talked about that a lot. I think that one's not that new. Treat others well, the golden rule. Yeah, we know that. I like this one. Maybe we'll kind of close out on this one if we can really sit with this. Search for benefit in your pain. You know, it's kind of like, it's very Eastern, that whole concept of life is pain, but it doesn't have to be suffering, that things are going to happen. But if we can allow and accept some of it, it doesn't add the second layer of now we're suffering because of what's causing pain. We're just sitting with the pain. We're not making it worse by saying this shouldn't be. Why is this? That's like that second layer we add. Um, and although I appreciate a lot of philosophical exploration, I think sometimes we need to just let what is be. And sometimes the pain is because we're holding on so tight and expecting or wanting something to be different versus just allowing it to be what it is and moving through it. There's so many things in our lives that we put the bar high for and we have such high expectations upon and they let us down, but we have to keep moving. And a lot of times they're actually not that meaningful, but that's going to happen. We have to learn how to tolerate that, which goes back to learning how to allow failure, getting more familiar with it. Also rejection. That's another big one. Learning how to get rejected, get rejected often and realize that we survive and that it's okay. That comes up with a lot of individuals I'm working with on uh, their dating and, and relational life. Um, risk and vulnerability and finding courage to step into that and realizing that just doing that is the success. It doesn't really matter if it gives us what we wanted. Just stepping into our courage and taking a risk and being vulnerable and asking someone out, asking for a raise, leaving a bad marriage, that it doesn't matter the outcome, just stepping in and taking that action is the success because 
there was so much anxiety, but because you're also prioritizing your needs. I think that's one of the most beautiful things I'm seeing in all these articles about all these companies that don't have workers and these um, fast food restaurants that often is the case where they have no one to run the store, so they're closed for the day. Um, a lot of that is people asserting themselves, setting boundaries, asking for their worth, asking for their needs to be met. You know, So it is a beautiful time. I'm seeing that with students holding their universities accountable as well, wanting proper housing, all sorts of stuff. So I think there is a beauty in this new level of accountability. I think that's an act of self-worth and confidence. Um, so I do like that shift. We'll see where all that goes though. But um, just to close this out, I thought that was meaningful. These articles talk a lot about meditation. We're gonna kind of bounce away from that. Um, not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with that, but I think we could talk about that to nauseam and we're all kind of familiar with that being a possibility and so many websites and books on how to get into meditation. So I'll leave you all with that. Um, wake up on your terms. We talked about that daily affirmations, carry a smile. Studies indicate that making an emotion filled face carries influence over the feelings processed by the brain. Our facial expression can influence our brain in the same way our brain influences our face ready for this? In other words, you can actually program yourself to experience happiness by choosing a smile. Yeah, I do like that. We can work with our phys, you know, physiology by moving our faces. <laughs> I, I do notice that if you kind of lean into laughter, force laughter, or smile, your disposition can shift a little bit. Anywho, we're going to take a break in a minute. And when we come back, we're going to slide into those DMs. So if you got a DM first, drop in the DMs on our, guess what? Love Line IG page. Questions, topics you want us to hit, anything you want us to cover again, drop deeper into, let us know. And then as always over at wearechannelq.com is where you want to go to check out past episodes of Love Line. Scroll down, look for the show, click on it. Bam, there they all are. You can binge, post, share, re-listen, and uh, all the topics are kind of posted there. So you can go back and you know, kind of re-experience some of the important things we're talking about. You know, repetition is really important for building it in and internalizing it. But stick around, y'all. We will always be right back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. All right, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, let's see. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline, I've been single now for about four years, and I really love it. See, that's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with singledom. Not everyone who's single has to be working towards relationship. Some people that are in relationship should be working towards singledom. Singledom is an acceptable, appropriate place to live. It shouldn't be a holding space or a limbo or until... Just let things be what they are and where they are. But I love hearing that because what? Singledom is easier psychologically often because we don't have to deal with our triggers and accommodate another. And we get to really center ourselves and focus on what's important to us. But that's not your question. You said, however, <laughs> recently I've been starting to feel lonely and really miss company. Sure, it happens. The people that I've talked to say that being single for four years is a red flag. Should I start lying about that to others to get them past it? Oh, so that's why I hate things like that. People say things like, however long you're in a relationship with someone, cut that in half and that's how long you need to be single or blah. None of that's real. Everyone's gonna be at a different journey in a different spot, right? Some people go from relationship to relationship because the health of a relationship is determined by the people in it, not by the length of time they were single beforehand. The next relationship is not inherently a rebound. Some people don't do that. And for others, everything's a rebound because they're always defensive and they're always avoidant and they're always leaning away. So all that doesn't matter. But the length of time someone is single tells me nothing about them, tells me absolutely nothing. And we do that. We'll be like, oh, that person was divorced or they've been married before. That tells me nothing. That inherently, just like being married doesn't tell me that there's love and trust and care between a relationship. That tells me nothing. So your length of time single tells me no more than the amount of people you've had sex with. It, it, maybe you're single because you've wanted to. Maybe you've been focused on school. Who cares? Um, I don't want you being with someone who's going to hold that against you. But I don't think that that's necessarily something that needs to be brought up if the people you're talking to aren't mature enough to understand that. I think you can discourage questions like that. Just like if someone says, how many people you've had sex with? I'd say, what is it you're looking to know? So if someone says, how long have you been single? Say, what is it you're looking to know? Are you looking to know if I'm available? I am. 
are you looking to know if I can be a good relational partner? I can be. And you sound really rad. Let's go on a date. That's what you say. <laughs> you know? But if you want to lie about it, lie about it. I don't care. It's not about being honest. It's about being relational. It's about focusing on mental health. And if you feel like you're not ready to explain or stand behind four years of singledom, well, then don't answer the question. Find ways around it. I'm okay with that. Or lie. Yeah, it's been a little bit of time. I'm okay with that. Trust isn't about whether or not you tell honest things. Trust is about whether or not you're aware of who you are and you're aware of the impact you have on others. And if you try to create safety, and if once safety and trust is built, then you make that disclosure. So once that person has earned your trust, you can, if you want, say, hey, I wanted to circle back to something. You once asked me how long I had been single. I wasn't forthcoming with you because I didn't know you were trust that you had the maturity to hear the answer because I know culturally most people aren't and they'll hold the length of time you've been single against you. So I purposefully misled you so as to be given an opportunity to show you who I really am. It turns out it was four years. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand that. And here's why. And you explain, I'm okay with that, truly. Healthy people get that. They know that we live in a world where we are up against the maturity of others. We might be okay with something, but we might know that most people aren't healthy enough to really understand. And so we don't wanna miss out on certain things and we protect ourselves from their immaturity and so we withhold information, absolutely. On a first date or on a dating app, we don't have to disclose an addiction history or that we've been married or even that we have a child. That's no one's business. People have to earn our trust. They have to earn the right to the disclosure of sensitive information. We are not obligated to disclose that immediately and vomit it out with no boundaries and no self-worth on the first date or even the first month of dating. People earn the right to have access to more triggering, private, sensitive information, 100%. And healthy people get that and they'll respect that. And anything short of that is someone I don't want you to date or be a part of. Healthy people get it, you know, but you have to have confidence and understand that. But it shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. So I want our listeners to know that. Let go of stupid questions like that. And instead, take the time to spend time with these people and see who they are now. When in doubt, go on a date and find out who they are now while with you. It doesn't matter who they were last year or the year before, you know? All right, y'all, that is our show, though. So if you do have a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and uh, past episodes of Loveline. Check them out over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, click on the show, and you can binge, post, share, we listen. They're all there. But if you got a DM, drop it in there. We'd love to hear from you questions, topics you want covered. Y'all, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to those around you. We need a lot more kindness in the world as you hear. And uh, as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. Enjoy the rest of your night. And as always, y'all, have fun, but be cool. Good night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.